I'm going to have you turn, because uh, it's the longest reading of this evening, Romans chapter 7, 5 through 25. So no one came to me this morning because I gave both services the disclaimer that if you don't walk out of here confused, I probably haven't done my job. And so nobody came to me and said, okay, preacher, I'm totally lost. Uh, I've accepted that as a challenge. <laughs> and I imagine that possibly after tonight, you may be a little confused. And again, that's probably okay because what we're talking about uh, can be a little confusing. But it's extremely important by the end, which will be next Sunday night, by the end of this four-sermon series, hopefully it all makes sense. If by the end of next Sunday evening you are confused, I'm serious as all get out, let's sit down and let's have a talk because I want you to get this. I want you to understand what we're talking about with a dominant spirit, okay? So if you did miss this morning, get the CD. I really need you to watch this and see it. Uh, with that said, we're simply talking about how God set us up and how we work, okay? And so this morning, we talked simply about that there's two types of people. Uh, that is the saved and those who have never accepted Christ as their Savior. Tonight, we're talking about two different types of Christians. So, so we're not, we're, we're not going to discuss necessarily those that have not accepted Christ, but those, you and I, we have accepted Christ, and now we have the opportunity to have a dominant spirit. Because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the spirit of man died. The Bible says in Romans 5, chapter 12, uh, this is a BK paraphrase, that from one man, death entered into the world. And because of one sin. Now, this is something as a young preacher that I latched onto, and I would tell people the kill power of one sin, one act of disobedience. I'm going to take this off if that's okay. One act of disobedience to God brought death to the entire population of this planet. Everybody that's been born, everybody that is born, everybody that will die, uh, be born has been born dead because of that one act of disobedience to God. That, that puts very serious implications upon sin. You know, the devil wants you and I to think that sin is no big deal. It's the biggest deal in the planet. It's a deal breaker. It will destroy you. I love what James says about sin, that sin brings death. It's it just every, every time. Choice plus sin equals death. And so, and actually, if you'll read it, it's lust plus sin equals death. We're going to get to this passage here in just a moment, but I, I want you to have it turned there. So we're talking tonight about the war within. So this morning was the dominant spirit, and tonight is the war within. There's two types of people, lost in Christians, two types of Christians, carnal and spiritual. So you have carnal Christians and you have spiritual Christians. And the rest of this message is to support that premise. The next statement I want to share with you, regeneration explained. As we learned, the natural lost man is spiritually dead. Before receiving Christ, every person is in this category. 
Upon receiving Christ, the Holy Spirit reestablishes contact with the human spirit, restoring communion and communication with God. The once dead spirit is revived by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit. This is what it means to be born of the Spirit and made alive in Christ. One of the things that I always try to stress to people that when they come to know Christ, you know, back in the day, uh, a lot of it was, was, I think, misguided and based on feeling. So when someone would lead someone through the sinner's prayer, they would ask them, what are you feeling? And, and I got to where I never asked that. And I'd always tell them, it's got nothing to do with feelings. You accepting Christ as the finished work on the cross for your sins has nothing to do with feeling. It has everything to do with the, if you will, uh, the accounting in heaven. It is a fact that Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. And when you and I respond, you respond by faith. How did that happen? The Holy Spirit called you. The Holy Spirit pointed you to the cross. The Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin. And when you say, yes, Lord, I agree. I agree that I'm a sinner and that I deserve eternal punishment. I agree that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. So I'm asking him now to forgive me my sins, to come into my heart and be my Savior. It's done. It's accounted for. The accountants in heaven go to work, if you will. The bean counters go to work. All of your sins, past, present, future, are wiped out. They're canceled. And that is a fact. Now watch this. When you and I get a hold of that fact, all sorts of wonderful feelings are going to come about. All, and amens rang throughout the building. I haven't been able to do that in three weeks. All sorts of wonderful feelings are going to come about when you, you know, Adrian Rogers used to joke with those that struggle with uh, the second gift, the second blessing, the third blessing, and all that. And he would always say, the second blessing is really understanding what you got in the first. <laughs> a amen. Yeah. You don't need to be searching for, for you know, well, well, I'm just waiting to get baptized by the Holy Spirit. That happened when you accepted Jesus Christ as your sinner, Savior, as your Savior. You know what I'm trying to say. So let me move on. That, uh, so these are verses to all support what we just said. John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Titus 3, 5 through 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. That means made alive. So your dead spirit, because of trespasses and sins, is quickened by the Holy Spirit and made alive when you accept Christ as your Savior. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. 1 Peter 3.18 For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then lastly along these lines, uh, but ye are not in the flesh, Romans 8, 9 through 10 says, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. 
Now, you know, if you have doubts of salvation, you've got to understand there's one of two things going on. You're either lost, and the Holy Spirit is convicting you of that, and He's pointing you to Christ to get saved. There's no guilt. It's conviction. Sin. Make it right. If you're doubting, you're worrying, you're insecure, and all that, that's of the devil. And the devil is never going to tell a lost person that they're lost. Never. Why would he do that? But he'll tell a saved person in a heartbeat, you're lost. You're undone. There's no way. And so now you're doubting and you're struggling. Did you notice what that verse said? God's spirit bears with our spirit that we are children of God. And so what I, I used to, because man, did I struggle in my, I think it was second year in college, so a sophomore, I struggled and struggled and struggled, prayed to receive Christ 3,000 times. None of them took. You know why? Because I'd already prayed to receive Christ when I was five years old. And the only thing that brought security to me was to realize that I was secure because God's spirit was bearing with my spirit. You're a child. You need to quit struggling with this insecurity and you need to serve me. Get to work was what God was saying to me. Quit quit praying to do something I've already done. Let's get after it. And so, next statement. As a Christian, our spirit is alive and functioning. However, your own personality, soul-conscious self, can still assert itself, resulting in a carnal or fleshly Christian. The soul is often referred to in Scripture as the old self or the flesh. Matthew 26, 41 says, this is when Jesus is chiding his disciples for falling asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch! And pray, Jesus says, that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I believe these men were saved. I believe the disciples of Christ, as Old Testament saints, they were saved. They were looking forward to God's provision for their sin. But their flesh was weak. In this area, if you will, they were carnal. They were fleshly. So let's stand for the reading and reverence of God's holy word. Romans 7, 5 through 25. This, ladies and gentlemen, is the manifesto of the struggle, the war within. And I'm going to confess to you, a lot of this is difficult to understand. I'm asking you not to worry about all of that. If anything that you're fixing to hear makes sense, latch on to that. Well, what do you mean, Brother Ben? Light obeyed increases light. So a lot of this may go over the heads, below the knees, as Mandy says, but what hits the heart, latch onto that, and God will slowly bring light to the other stuff in his time. Paul says, For when we were in the flesh as dead, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead, wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. 
Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Now that word concupiscence refers to sexual sins that are uh, heightened, if you will, by the senses of the body. In other words, uh, for a man especially, concupiscence is a daily struggle. Anything and everything tempts you towards lust. That's concupiscence. And Paul is saying it wasn't until he heard the law, thou shalt not lust after thy neighbor's wife, that he realized he was doing that all the time. It was ever present with him. And so the law made him realize that he was an awful sinner. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. In the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. He's basically explaining what happened in the garden. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good. That, in other words, the law is good, but it shows you that there's no good in you. That sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual. But I am carnal, Paul says, fleshly, sold under sin. For that, here, here it is. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent under the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would do, for the would, I'm sorry, for the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a new law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. Did you, did you notice that? I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind. So we're talking about the war within. Bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he answers his own question. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Father, we ask you to open our minds and hearts to this truth. Teach us so that we can be more like you. In Jesus' precious and holy name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. I want to summarize, and I've got several things that I'm going to read here in just a moment that are extremely important. As you know, I can read better than I can preach sometimes. But I want to try to, uh, what would the word be? I, I want to try to sum up what you just heard, because you heard some pretty difficult language. And I don't mean that, obviously, about cuss words. I'm saying it's difficult to grasp what he's trying to say. I was a protected child. I was a preacher's son. My mother 
was raised by a teetotaler, isolation woman. When my mother started dating my dad, my mother, my grandmother told my mom, he's a sailor and you know what sailors do. Oh, she didn't like that. And mom said, I am 20 some odd years old, mom. I'm going to do what I feel like I ought to do. Now, you got to know my mom. She's pretty straight-laced, too. She made dad toe the line. And dad did. And dad was saved at age 13, but he had left all that because many, many things in his life. But when dad started going back to church, and dad started sitting under uh, the preaching of Bob Batson in Little Rock, Arkansas, the Holy Spirit got a hold of dad. And he turned his life around. He allowed Christ to turn his life around. And I saw that grandmother soften up to dad, and she became one of his best supporters. Why am I telling you all that? They raised us three boys strict. We, we weren't allowed to cuss. We weren't allowed to, to misbehave. At least me and Tony weren't. <laughs> they ruled us with an iron fist. My children think that they're raised strict. <laughs> I mowed yards in blue jeans. In Ar- You guys don't have summer here compared to Arkansas. We do have summer here. I've lived here long enough to know that, but not compared to Arkansas. And I mowed yards in pants because Christians don't wear shorts. Well, praise God, I've been set free from that. <laughs> but here's the point. I, I was raised strict. And as a result, I'm a pretty good boy. I'm pretty straight-laced. I'm clean. I know I'm going to heaven because not only am I saved, I'm good. And that, of course, that, I get to college. I don't got mom and dad around me no more. I'm 18 years old. The hormones are hitting. And all of a sudden, I'm having thoughts that would make a sailor blush. And I realize, Lord, help. And that was one of the reasons why I started doubting my salvation. How can a saved individual think some of these thoughts? How can a saved individual want to do some of these things? And and I was introduced to the war within. And when I read at college Paul's statement there, the very things... I know I shouldn't do, I do. The very things I know I should do, I don't do. I'm like, holy cow, Paul, that's me. And a lot of people give Paul a hard time because they think he's perfect. He, he's trying to tell you he ain't anything close. In fact, at one point he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And that's Paul telling you, I know how evil I am. And guys, listen to me. I'm afraid of a Christian that doesn't understand how evil they are. I really am. Because I'm telling you, I I know, I know. I absolutely know how evil I can be if I'm left to myself. The war within. So, as Christians, we're trying to win this war. This is what the author of the book that I'm telling you that I'm getting this material. This is what he says. The flesh and the old self refer to the operation of the conscious personality, the soul. 
Apart from the controlling influence of the Holy Spirit through a dominant spirit, a person who hasn't received Christ lives completely in the flesh because his spirit isn't functioning in its created role. But even though a Christian has a regenerated spirit, he can, by asserting his own conscious personality or soul apart from God's direction, live according to the flesh. To live according to the soul, according to the dictates of one's own mind, will, and emotions, which are being fed by the body's senses, is to live according to the flesh, the old self. The conscious life of a lost person with its functions of mind, will, and emotion operates entirely without direction from the Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit union with the human spirit, the personality is left to fend for itself apart from God's guidance. This is the natural man. But as a believer, your spirit is alive. God, by the operation of the Holy Spirit, is able to communicate with you and give guidance to your life through your spirit. Your soul, however, is still very much alive. You are still thinking, feeling, and making choices. Even though you have had fellowship with God reestablished by personally accepting the finished work of Christ, you retain the soul, the flesh, the old self, and must deal with it continually. That's the war within. The soul is the residing place of the sin nature passed down from Adam. So now, you seem to be in quite a dilemma. On the one hand, you have a spirit which is alive in union with the Holy Spirit and which offers the potential of living holy within the will of God. On the other hand, you retain your conscious personality, soul, flesh, which inclines you to live according to your own capabilities, resulting in sin as a result. There is a war going on between your spirit in your flesh. The created capacity of the spirit is to dominate the soul. The conscious personality is created to be dominated by the spirit. Now, that's how it's supposed to work. The spirit of God is in union with the believer's spirit and is able to guide the whole person only when the spirit is dominant. Now, you've heard us joke and, and I mean, I say us. You've heard this all your life. You've seen it in commercials. You've seen it in movies. You've seen it displayed in the such. I got a good angel over here and a bad angel over here with a pitchfork, right? This angel's got a halo. He represents the dominant spirit. This guy represents the old flesh, and they're whispering, and they're trying to get you to make completely opposite decisions. This guy's trying to get you to make the right decision, quote, unquote. This guy's trying to get you to make the wrong decision. You know, that really isn't all that off, with this exception. They never just visually appear. If they do, you're crazy. <laughs> okay, it's the war within. You remember the Indian preacher that was asked by a younger preacher, how... Do you live the spirit-filled life? And he said, I got a white dog in my heart and mind and a black dog in my heart and mind. The white dog is Christianity and everything that's right. The black dog is my old flesh, everything that's wrong. And the guy just looked at him. And he said, well, well which one wins? And the old Indian preacher said, the one I feed. If you feed the black dog with the things of this world, the black dog's going to win every time. It's not because the white dog, which would represent the Holy Spirit, is emaciated 
It's not because the Holy Spirit's not capable. Watch this. It's because the Holy Spirit is the perfect gentleman. And if you want to destroy your life with carnal living, He's going to sadly allow you to do that. But the moment you push the feed bowl of the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the Church of God, the preaching of God, the moment that you push that feed bowl to your dominant spirit, that white dog's going to win every time. Every time. It's so important that we understand the war within. Now, I like this. The, the author gives a little, little bit of encouragement. So don't lose heart over this awful predicament that you can be assured that when Jesus returns, the old self will be completely eradicated. I'm so glad that there will come a day that I won't have a choice. I will get to do what I really want to do, and that is serve the Lord unashamedly, unabashedly, and not have to fight that old flesh every time. I'm so glad that that's coming. You will become what God has made you to be in Christ. 1 John 33.2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we should be. We know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him just as He is. 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. Even though, and, and we could say this for all of the families that has experienced loss, but certainly now, most recently, our Burnett family the Hookses and the Kingstons and the Grodys. We're sad that Ken's not here. But we're thrilled that Ken has reached that place that we're talking about here. Ken is in his perfect mind. He's in his perfect body, if you will, and he's, in, he's having the time of his life. And, it, <laughs> and he's not struggling with the old flesh anymore. And Ken was just like you and I. He struggled with the old flesh. He did. But he's not doing that anymore. Until that day when you meet the glory of Savior face to face, you must deal with the struggle of the spirit versus the soul. When you're, And we just have a few more custodial statements about this war within. When your spirit is dominant, functioning in its created capacity, the abundant life becomes a reality. And that condition is called spiritual. When the conscious personality, the soul, rises up apart from God's leadership and pushes the spirit into subjection, there's real trouble. And this condition is called carnal. Paul describes his ever-present contest for control in your life. We've already read this passage where Paul says, I do the very things I did not want to do. I do the very things that I want. I do not do the things I want to do. So note carefully that both spirituality and carnality are conditions. To some extent, they are matters of degree. However, there is a definite point at which the Spirit's dominant position is usurped by the conscious personality, resulting in a carnal condition. Likewise, there is a point in which the soul submits to the Spirit's domination, resulting in a spiritual condition. Indeed, there are varying depths of carnality and varying heights of spirituality, but the dividing line, the deciding factor between spirituality and carnality is always at the point of the Spirit's domination. In other words, the longer you and I 
Choose to allow the dominant spirit to connect with God's spirit and tell the soul and the body what to do. That's spirituality, and you are reaching spiritual maturity. Please know this. You can be spiritual at a moment, but not necessarily spiritually mature. You can be spiritually mature, but not necessarily spiritual at a particular moment. <laughs> yeah. And we're all, oh, yeah, I remember that one time. Oh, yeah, I remember that time. You know, and so here you are, you know, a Christian for, in my case, for 50 years, but yet many, many times in a day, unfortunately, if I'm not connecting my dominant spirit with God's spirit, the old flesh rises up. And watch this. If my spiritual maturity is going to win the day, then I've got to put the dominant spirit back in its proper, proper place. I've got to make the decision. And, you know, we're going to talk about this more. We're going to get in detail about how to do that next Sunday morning. But basically, you're crucifying the flesh. You're making sure that the dominant spirit stays in control. Because both spirituality and carnality are conditions, it's possible for any believer to be one or the other. It's possible for a brand new Christian to be spiritual. It's possible for someone who has been a Christian for 40 years to be carnal. In fact, all Christians struggle with bouts of carnality. It's important, therefore, to distinguish between spirituality and spiritual maturity, carnality and spiritual immaturity. When you are spiritual, the process of growing spiritually is enhanced. It's logical that your spiritual growth would progress when you're spiritual. It also follows the carnal condition hinders the process of spiritual maturity. Certainly, as you mature spiritually, spirituality can become increasingly more consistent. But no one, no matter how mature they are in Christ, is immune to carnality. The battle between the weak flesh and the willing spirit is reality for every believer. So in order to help us mature in Christ as consistently as possible, what we need to know is how best to maintain a dominant spirit so that the Holy Spirit can direct and empower our conscious lives. This will be covered in detail in the next two messages. Now, I want to share something with you that I have shared many times before, but it's a, just a wonderful example of this situation. Uh, Mason, and we ended up calling him uh, Jar, but Mason came to us as a spiritual young man, and he was gaining in spiritual maturity. He had been in the drug culture. He had been a drug dealer. He miraculously uh, came out of that through salvation, and he wanted to preach, so he went to Central Baptist College, where me and all my buds were, and Mason immediately came within our, if you will, group of young preacher boys, and Mason set the example. He didn't go anywhere without God's Word open. Just a true story. He was, his head was like this everywhere he went. He ran into a few walls. I mean, he just he literally was like this because he was hungry. He had come from a horrible, fleshly, carnal life. He knew what was facing him. And it was only through God's word that kept the dominant spirit where it needed to be. And I've shared with you the story of the young lady that was the preacher's daughter. And when the preacher, the, that daughter's Preacher dad got wind that this guy had the past that he got. He cut it off. He shut it down. And that was a bridge too far for Mason. 
he, he just couldn't handle it. And we can sit here and, and judge. I, you know, I don't know if that dad was wrong. I don't. I, I am a dad, so I get some of it. I, don't, I, I do know this. Mason didn't pass the test. The test of, am I enough? Guys, listen to me. In your relationship, God is asking you, am I enough? And the dominant spirit is going to respond to that every time. Yes, you are. You're the only reason I'm going to heaven. You're the only reason I'm fit on this earth to serve you. You're the only reason I'm fit in the new place to be there. You're enough. And Mason failed that test. And he, because he didn't get the girl he wanted, he quit reading his Bible. And it was months he was in jail. True story. And, and every time I, I look at this, I, I think of Mason. And, and, and church, I'm going to tell you, I don't feel like us preacher boys did a very good job of trying to, to reach him. We, we didn't do it. Because us Christians, we're bad about shooting our wounded. Oh, you failed? <laughs> Guys, we should be circling around those that fail and loving it because how does it go? But for the grace of God, there go I. And so we're going to be getting deeper the next two sermons. So sermon in a sentence. The war within is simply the constant fight and decision and choice as to whether you're going to keep the dominant spirit in its natural order after regeneration or are you going to give in to the carnal mind, will, emotion of the old flesh? Let's stand, musicians, will you come? You've been very attentive. You've been very patient, and I appreciate that. This is an invitation. We're inviting you to come. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we would just treat it as the greatest honor on this side of heaven to introduce you to Jesus Christ. If you come, we'll send you with someone gender appropriate. They'll share the gospel with you. If you just want to come and make this an old-fashioned altar, whatever the case may be, you can certainly deal with uh, God, if you will, in the pew. But let's try to make sure that the dominant spirit is where it needs to be.